But we're still looking at some questions. This is our key to understanding the things of God, is the questions that we ask. But we're going to look at a particular pattern here today. We have questions that we sometimes speak. We have questions we sometimes think. But these questions will reveal a pattern. And they can project, a, they can be actually a different pattern than we project to other people. Sometimes we project things about our spiritual lives. We project things about who we are. Because this is what we want people to think we are and who we are and what we do. But the questions that we have on the inside of us, the questions that rise up, these are the things that will really tell you what's going on. Does the pattern of questions that you ask, do they go in a direction of faith, obedience, trust? Or they go in a way of distrust? Do they go in a way of doubt and unbelief? These are the things we want to take a look at. So we're going to look at two stories here today. One, no questions at all are asked. And the other one, there's a uh, question asked that really reveals quite a bit about the people that ask it. Last week we were looking at spiritual natural questions. You cannot understand what is given as spiritual with your natural understanding. What is natural comes to your mind, but what is spirit is revealed to your spirit then your spirit teaches your mind on the things of God. That's the pattern that God has given us. Religious people take things from the Word, take things that are appear to be spiritual. They, they understand it with their mind. And then they begin to tell you what you need to do to get right with God. But what God wants us to do is to have in our spirit His truth revealed. Our spirit teaches our mind. The Word of God says, renewing your mind. In Romans, we've got to renew our mind. So our spirit receives the revelation that teaches our mind. And then we walk in the things of God. Religious people do destruction. They do damage. People like Jesus who walked around, they were spiritual people. They helped. They healed. In John chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day, this is the wedding in Cana. You all know this story. We're not really going to spend a whole lot of time teaching the story. We are learning some things here. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now he didn't say, as far as I can tell in this story, he didn't say he was going to do anything. But she says, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I don't know. We have to wait till we get to heaven and we get to watch the videotape. Does mom say this in the presence of Jesus and the servants? You know how sometimes moms can do that? Y'all been under that, right? You know, your, your mom's there and, and she just asked you to do something. And you're not sure if you want to do it. And so while you're there and the other people are there, she says to them something that kind of pulls you in. Oh, I guess I have to do this now. I don't know if that's what was going on, but uh, Jesus didn't seem to have any problem with going along with this, and so he does. Whatever he says to you, do it. Verse 6, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now you all know that a gallon of water weighs about 10 pounds, roughly. It's about 9 point something or other. 9.7, 9.8, but just roughly about 10 pounds. So if each of these 
contains 20 or 30 gallons of water. And that means you've got to haul 20 or 30 pounds of water to fill them up. And they had six of those. So you multiply that by six, 120, 180 pounds you got to haul in there because they don't have running water. You just take the hose, put the hose in there, turn it on, wait for it to fill up, put it into the next bucket. Can't do that here. No, you got to go down to the river. You got to go down to the uh, pool. You got to go down someplace where there's water. Get your bucket, put the put it in the bucket, and you, you got your water pots. We talked about the lady went to the well with the water pots. You're going to take your water pots and you're going to make the trip on down there. However far it is, it might be a half mile. It might be uh, further. I don't know how how far it is. But you got to go down to where the water is, get the water pot, haul it back in, pour it into the buckets, the, the, the things there, go on back down, get some more, haul that back on up. Now, if somebody tells you we're out of wine and we want you to fill these stone pots here with water, would a question come to your mind? Could any of you think of a question that you might be able to ask in this manner? Uh, we need wine, not water. Because there's no mention of turning water to wine. We read the story, we understand this is the miracle of turning water to wine. But at the time, they don't know it. They have no idea this is what Jesus is going to do. He has not stated, all right, guys, here's the plan. Let's fill these things up with water. And I'll bless it, and it'll turn into wine, and then you can go and give it to the people. All right, we can get on with that plan. See, then we'll be all right then. I'm not asking questions. I may wonder if he has the ability to do this, but at least then I'm in on the plan. I'm not in on the plan. All I'm told is fill these things up with some water. I can ask some questions. I can think of some questions. Why am I wasting the time doing this? We don't want water. We want wine. So there are six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And this is, this is such a great verse. If you want a good verse to put on your refrigerator this week, this is a good verse to put on your refrigerator. I hope that every single one of you handwrites this verse out, puts it on a card, and sticks it on your refrigerator. Look at this. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they did what? They filled it to the brim. Now, we had a discussion about, I don't remember who it was with, but you know, when you ask a child to do a job, they don't always come through and do the job completely. One of my buddies and I, we were having this discussion of, of, uh, of this, and he was uh, sharing some of the experiences that he had in this area. And... Um, you know, children, as they're growing up, we generally try and find the shortcut to getting them some things done, right? If um, you're asked to do a particular, wash the dishes, well, does that mean the dishes that are in the sink or also the dishes that are on the stove? And so you wash the ones that are in the sink and then the ones that are on the stove and then mom comes in and said, hey, I asked you to wash the dishes. I did. Well, how come they're all over the stove? Well, you didn't tell me how to wash those too. Yeah, right? We try and find the short way. We try and find the, the I did it. I, I know I didn't quite do it all. You know, go clean your room. We take all the stuff, put it in the closet, close the door. Room is clean. 
that's not quite what we, we want to do. But um, they filled them up to the brim. Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. He did not say fill them to the brim. He said fill them. They said, all right, you want them filled? We'll fill them. Then they filled them to the brim. That tells me a whole lot about these servants. When they heard the command, do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's how it's actually phrased. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And they focused on that. Whatever he tells us to do, do it. We don't have anywhere in this passage they ask a single question. They didn't ask Jesus, well, why are we doing that? Well, what's the purpose? Now, I'm sure, you know, you all being really strong Christians, that when God has asked you to do something, whether in your spirit it came up or you saw it into work, you never asked any questions about it, right? If you said, if God said, thou shalt not, you said, okay. If you said, thou shalt, you said, okay. And you just went out there and did it. If your spirit led you down in your spirit, you got a leading to go out and do a particular thing, you did what? Well, we just went out and we did it. <laughs> uh, no. We, <laughs> we haven't exactly done that. We didn't do it with our parents. Our parents might say, don't do this. Don't uh, go out there and, and do that. Don't, r- don't run in this particular area because they knew this was an area you, you could trip on. And so you ran and you tripped and you, you fell and you, and you got hurt, right? You know, we, we were, um, when we were kids, you know, we... We had bikes and things. I don't know what these kids are, are, are like today. Uh, when we rode bikes, how many can attest to this? We didn't have helmets. We didn't know what a back helmet is. I think they had helmets for motorcycles. I think they had those. There's no bike helmets. You got a bike. You did not get a bike with a helmet. Now, if you give somebody a bike today, what comes with it? I mean, you got helmets, you got gloves. It, they even have some special shoes that you can use for biking. That you uh, you might want to do that. But we didn't have those, and so my my parents were very leery of getting me a ten speed bicycle because at the time, you know, when we were growing up, ten speed was top. That was tough. I mean, now they blow that out of the water. We got 18 speeds. We got 24 speeds. We've got all sorts of stuff on there that you can that you can do. But you know, 10 speed. This was this was the cream of the crop, and um, they just knew that I I did things. I had no fear. I had no fear of anything. I never thought anything harmful was going to happen. Uh, I didn't think things all the way on through. I you know you want to jump on? Let's jump it. Let's let's go. <laughs> You want to go out into the, this uh, old house? Let's go. We're going. <laughs> Whatever the adventure, I didn't think twice about it. And so we just, you just went. So they were a little leery of getting me a 10-speed bicycle. But they eventually did get me a 10-speed bicycle. And I remember riding that thing. I mean, I was young. But I still remember this one trip we were doing. And, and my buddy and my, I, we were, we were racing down. We grew up in this area. It's uh, Willow Grove. But actually, we lived on Hapro Avenue. And what was really funny was Hapro Avenue ends at Hapro. It's a two-block road in Willow Grove. It ends, there's a dead end, there's grass, dead ends at Hatboro. 
Everything on the other side is Hapro. We lived in Willow Grove on Hapro Avenue. It was kind of a fun place to live because uh, we had a Hapro zip code. They delivered our mail. And so mom would say, you know, we get all the advantages of being in Montgomery County because we do live in Willow Grove when we go to Upper Moreland School. And we get all the advantages of being in Bucks County because we have a Hapro post office and we live on Hapro Avenue. <laughs> so we could take advantage of both, both things, you know, if you had stuff for that. But we were coming on down. There's this one road called Parkside that uh, was towards the end of our road, and it was a hill. And so my buddy and I, we were running, racing down this hill, just zipping right on down in the, in the hill. And, uh, you know, when your kids, faster is better. And so we're going down as fast as we can. And we had no problem coming down the hill going, I don't know how fast we were going, but we were coming down that hill. We were going fast. And then at the end, Parkside dead ends at Hatboro Avenue. And so you have to make the turn. So we were doing fine on the straightaway, but when we got to the turn, it wasn't quite as good. And so we were making the turn and uh, I forget everything that happened, but I know that I wiped out in that thing, and uh, no, no helmets. <laughs> I, got, I got scraped up pretty good. So, you know, your parents, you may, they may tell you if they got your bike, now don't do certain things, but when you got out there, you probably did certain things and, and pushed them to the, to the limits of, of such. You know, the bike got scratched up. It was new, but uh, it's going to get scratched up more, you figured, right? But we all know what it's like to have instructions on a thing and not completely pay attention to them, to not quite do everything. That's why this is a good refrigerator verse for you, because what this verse will tell you is not only pay attention, go over and above. Whatever God asks for you to do, do it and go over and above. Don't do the bare minimum. Go over and above. Get that thing done. And so they said, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now, you get done filling these things to the brim, going down wherever it is. You know, I don't know if your, your, your grandparents were like my grandparents, but, you know, when they went to school, they went to school, walked five miles <laughs> uphill both ways, you know, all that sort of stuff. We had all that. Things, things were tough. I don't know if they had to go uphill both ways, but they had to go and, get, and fetch the water and bring it in and put them into the pots. And they did this for all six of them. And they filled each one to the brim. Now, if you're going to fill something to the brim, you're probably going to spill some. They apparently weren't too care, careful about that. They may have spilled some because they want them to the brim. They want them filled up. We're going to fill them all the way up. Now, if you fill something to the brim, that means there's no room in there for anything else, right? Now, they're eventually going to have to draw that out. So what happens when you draw it out? Some of it's going to come out. Some of it's going to leak out. Keep that in mind. Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now, if any of you actually do put that verse on your refrigerator, send me a picture. <laughs> and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. So, fill them to the brim, draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. Well, let me just read this next verse. 
When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made, he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. So he calls someone over. He's going to tell them some things. Up until this point, there have been no questions asked by the servants. They filled it with water. He said, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Now, if you have it filled to the brim and you take something and you, you dip it in, to draw some out, what's going to happen? You're going to have some come over the side. If it comes over the side, can you tell if it's wine or water? Probably. Now, again, we're going to have to wait till we get to heaven on this one, but I'll, I'll guarantee you, when they had some leak over the side, it looked like water. Because the act of faith is not in filling the water pots. The act of faith is not in drawing it out. The act of faith is taking it to the master of the feast. That's the act of faith. The other thing set it up, but the act of faith is taking it to the master of the feast because you are presenting it as wine. As far as you know, it's water. Now, they may have been, may have been more enthusiastic if they dipped the thing in and out on the sides came wine. Oh, yeah, let's go do this one. Yeah, we're ready for this. But if out on the side came water, and you filled it up in the, in the cup, and then you're taking it over, and then you give it to them, draw some out now, take it to the master of the feast. Now, the, the servants, they know where this, where this came from. They know it came from pots of water. They knew. Jesus knew. Apparently no one else was clued in on this. And so then the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, you, you got to, when you read these stories in the Bible, these, this is a narrative. This is actually what happened. This is what was going on. You got to put yourself into the place of these guys. So think about this. Here's the, here's the situation. You have, you have um, drawn out some water. It seems to be water. You look at it, and it looks like it's water. You put it into a cup, and you're going to take it over to the master of the feast and present it as what? Wine. Wine. But you know it to be? Water. Water. As far as you know, it's still water. You give it to the master of the feast. He doesn't say anything to you. Because why? You're the servant. He calls over the main guy come on over here what are you thinking if you are a servant you put water in the pots you drew out water from the pot you put it into the cup and then you take it and present it and then he silently goes away and finds the person in charge of the feast what are you thinking man we're in trouble now we are in trouble. There's servants. That means there's more than one of them. Let's say there's at least two. Maybe been three. But if you've got two people, partners in crime, and the master of the feast goes, what are you doing? You're looking at each other. Should we run? How much trouble do you think we could get into for giving them water? I don't know who this Jesus is. 
person is. He just told us to bring it. We just followed instructions. And they call us on it. So wait a minute. You put water in the pots and because this guy said to draw some out and bring it to us, you thought that was okay? <laughs> you got to figure, they're a little bit nervous right now. We're standing here. We're waiting. He's not talking to us. He goes over and he talks to, talks to the master of the feast. He's not, we don't know that he's doing this in their presence. But he didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he, he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine till now. Now what that means, and understand, if you don't know, biblical wine is not modern day wine. It has alcohol, but a lot less. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't keep up on that sort of stuff. But they, um, there, there is alcohol in it. It's not as alcoholic as our wine is. And as far as I know, wine is not very alcoholic to begin with. But anyway, if you're, these feasts, they last for days. It's not, you know, you go to a thing. Uh, how many have been to a reception that has lasted for a couple of hours? Anybody been to a reception that lasts for a couple of hours? How many wanted it to last long, uh, less? <laughs> less time. It's... Uh, you want to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, we can. I can see that. There's been a lot of uh, wedding feasts that I've been at. And I said, can I leave yet? Would I cause any stir if I go now? Because, you know, they're just going on and doing things, and you're just not interested in it. And uh, they're here for days, days on these things. So if you keep giving them wine and wine and wine and wine, eventually what happens? Well, you're not quite as coherent as you were when you started. And so the wine that you get at the end of the feast, you're not as critical of it as you are at the beginning. Now, you've all seen those Hallmark movies where they do the wine tasting. You know, they, they have the thing going on there. You know, they take this stuff and they swish it around. And they, uh, they, they smell it. You know, and then they put some in their mouth and they swish it around in the mouth and uh, taste it. And apparently, at the real wine tasting thing, you spit it out. I think that is the stupidest thing in the world. If you're going to have something, in, we Diet Coke drinkers, we don't mess with any of that. We don't do no swishing. We don't do no smelling. We take the Diet Coke, we drink it, and we swallow it. That's it. I don't know what the swishing and all that, you know, come around to Christmas season, eggnog. How many like eggnog? No, non-alcoholic, eggnog. I understand some people mix some extra stuff in there. Uh, I love eggnog. Oh, I mean, I love eggnog. I go out there. I'm the only one in the family who does, uh, the immediate family. L- little girl, Lissy, she likes it. And so the two of us, you know, we will go over there. We don't fight over it. We, <laughs> we just, you want some? Here. here and you have, we just, we share it. We get a uh, half gallon or whatever we can find. And, uh, oh, we just love it. And I know it's slimy and it's uh, all that sort of stuff, but I'm used to drinking raw eggs, so it's not a big deal. I've done that on a regular basis. I've just, you know, you, I just drink eggs. That's, that's what you did to get your calories up. So we would take that, and I know, I know this is a beverage you're supposed to sip and enjoy. I can't do it. Cannot sip and enjoy it. I get a thing of eggnog and right down the hatch. I mean, it's so good. I just... Just drink it right on down, and it's gone. 
I don't know about any of the swishing to enjoy a beverage. If I like something, I drink it. It just goes right on down. And eggnog is, is certainly one of those things. And, and uh, you know, some of, the, some of my fellow peop, uh, people, they, would, they wear these shirts, you know, I run for beer because that's what they, they like to drink. And beer apparently has a lot of calories to it. Uh, I wanted to get one that says, I run for eggnog. Because there's a lot of calories in the eggnog, but uh, they don't seem to bother me too much. But here they are there. He says, you did this backwards. You're supposed to serve the good wine first. And then after everybody's all kind of drunk a little bit, then, um, then you bring out the inferior wine. But you saved the good stuff for now. Now the servants are over here. They haven't said a word. They have not said a word. Did Jesus say to say anything? He didn't. He didn't tell us to tell it where it came from. He didn't give us permission to do any of that. So they just presented it. They may have overheard the conversation. If you overheard the conversation and you were one of the servants, how many of you would have wanted to say something? I can tell you where it came from. But Jesus didn't tell us to say. And we are supposed to do whatever it is that he said. So they stayed quiet. You have kept the good wine until now. They didn't ask a single question. Boy, if we can just get to the place where we obey God and don't ask any questions. Just do it. Whatever he says. Whatever he says to you, do it. You remember that story of the, the man with leprosy? And he came to the house. And he was told to go wash in the river. And he'd be clean. He's mad. I thought he, this was his words. I thought, Naaman says, I thought he would come out and wave his hand or call upon the name of his God. But wash in the Jordan. We got better rivers where I come from than that, Jordan, that ugly Jordan River. It's muddy. It's dirty. And the servant finally speaks sense to him and says, well, if he asked you something great, wouldn't you have done it? How much more? He says, wash and be clean. So he finally talks him into it. He goes and washes into things seven times. And he comes out and there's no more leprosy. And he comes back and he's very, very grateful. See, if, if everything that God told us to do made sense to us, we would, we would do it. But you see, he sometimes speaks spiritual truth to, truth to us and we try and understand it with our natural mind. And that's where we get messed up. I try and... Well, that does, you, I, I don't understand how doing this is going to help me with my problem. You don't have to understand. If God spoke to you to do it, and then go out there and do it. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Isn't it interesting that not only is his mother there, his brothers are there. Isn't, doesn't the word make a particular point to say that his brothers did not believe in him? They were here at the first miracle. I'm sure the word got around where that wine came from because it's written here in our Bible. And the disciples had to decide, I'm sorry, the brothers had to decide to believe that or not to believe it. 
So the servants did not ask a question with their mouth or in their actions. Sometimes we don't ask questions with our mouth, but in our actions we're asking some questions. We do things in a certain way. Because we kind of do it half-heartedly. We're saying, this isn't going to have any effect on it. That's why we're doing it half-heartedly. I didn't ask any question, but I'm doing it half-heartedly. I'm not, uh, not quite going all in on, on this thing. But they did not ask any questions with their mouth or with their actions. Because when they went up and they filled those, those uh, pots, it was to the brim. How many times can you say in your life that you have done both? You did not ask any questions with your mouth and you did not ask any questions with your actions. Now these were natural questions that needed natural understanding, not spiritual. What would happen if the servants were said, go fill the water pots? Now, what do you think he means? Does he mean spiritually? fill the water pots? Maybe we should pray over the water pots and fill them with uh, the presence of God? What does he mean? See, if you were to hear a natural thing and try and put something spiritual on it, you will come out with the wrong meaning. If you're believing God for something in your health area and God tells you, don't eat any more blank. That's a natural thing. It deserves natural understanding. All right, don't eat any more God spoke this to me a long time ago. Steve, don't eat any cooked cabbage. I have been obedient ever since. Cooked cabbage has not come near my mouth. <laughs> well, you know I have an aversion for that sort of thing. But we have to obey in, in that direction. We have to obey doing it. There's some other things that God has told me to do. Whether I like it or whether I don't, I make sure that I stay obedient to it. This is what God said to do. I'm going to, I'm going to stay with it. Why do you do that? Because God told me to do it. Does it have any effect? I don't know. I don't care. God told me to do it. I believe that God told me to do it. Because I believe that God told me to do it, I'm going to keep doing it. Well, what, shouldn't you feel some, shouldn't you know of some effect? I don't care if I feel any kind of effect. God said, do this. I will do this. That's it. You just set out to do it. If you're always trying to see the end result, if you got it, well, I'll fill that with, with water, but can we see the first one turn to wine? Then we'll be more enthusiastic about getting to the second, third, and fourth one. If we fill up that first one, there's no wine in it. Why in the world are we going to keep going out there and doing the rest? Whatever God says to you, you got to do it. Don't question. Don't question. Wouldn't you just like it if, you know, if the, the little ones in your house, when you had little ones in your house, and you said something, don't do this again. And they never did. Or they, they don't question you about it. Well, well, why can't I? Wouldn't it be nice if they just didn't ask any questions? They just said, okay, mom. Okay, dad. I won't ever do that. <laughs> Boy, it would be, wouldn't it? Verse 13, Now the pastor of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. 
Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Now, it seems to be, you know, there are two cleanses of the temple that are recorded. It seems to be this mostly happens around Passover, that all the other times these things took place other places. But during the Passover, there was a large volume of people coming in. There was a large need. There was a lot of opportunity to make some money. And so during these times, they would bring this into the temple. And they would begin to, to do this here in the temple. And uh, probably for convenience, they had a lot more things to sell. There was a lot more things that were sacrificed over this time. Plus, everybody from Israel was supposed to come down for this. So there was a lot more customers. So they just set up, someone once said in, in there, well, you know, why are we making them go all the way out here? Let's just sell them these things right here in the temple. Let's just make it convenient. And they can just buy all this stuff uh, right here. Kind of like when you go to the uh, sports complex to watch the, uh, whatever game you're going there. And we're not going to make you go out to the stores that are around here. We're going to sell you the jersey right here. We're going to sell you the fan finger right here. We're going to sell you the hat. We're, whatever it is, we're going to sell it to you right here. And, of course, it's a bargain. No, what happens when you buy the fan material at the stadium? That price goes up. That price is high. But you pay it because, well, you're, it's convenient, it's here, and how much more authentic is it to have something, you know, right there? And we did this one time. We went up to the, uh, Christian was out here, and we went up to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, camp way back when they were doing up at Lehigh. And we went up to the camp, and this was the year that uh, Terrell Owens had signed. And so there was a lot of excitement for the team because Terrell Owens was a great receiver, and uh, Donovan McNabb is going to do great things with a great receiver, and everybody was really excited about it. So they had this day that we were up there, and apparently a lot of other people got the same idea because I think something around the area of 30,000 people converged on the camp, and they were set up for like three to 5,000. And so we got there early, fortunately, so we got in, and as we had gotten in, we looked out and we saw just lines of cars trying to get in to the area where they were, to the Lehigh area where they were at. And they had two food stands, two, two food stands for somewhere like 30,000 people. You can imagine how that went over. And so, but they sold some of the paraphernalia, some of the things that they had there. And so the players would come over to the, to the, um, fence area and they would sign some things and so we said well, well we'll get ready for this we'll go on back there and we'll buy one of those souvenirs that they had and so we got a little football uh that you know had to fill out the eagles thing on it and they had a little white section on there it was, it was made for people to sign and so we got one of those and bought one of those sharpie pens and uh, we paid a lot of money for it because you're there at the at the spot we paid a lot of money for our sharpie pen we could have bought Ten of them going to Staples afterwards. We got one. And so we had our Sharpie pen and we had the, the football and we got to the where the fence was and lo and behold, here comes one of the Eagles players. He was coming over. He was signing stuff. And so Christian was young at that point. He was shorter. So I just took the thing and I just got my arm in there and I just made sure it was over there and that he was going to get it. 
and had the pen and he signed it and it was Christian's favorite Philadelphia Eagle player. David Akers. How many remember David Akers? Very unusual kicker. He had a football mentality. He wasn't just a kicker. And so we got David Akers' signature on that football. How many of y'all know that football was worth the price it was paid? We wouldn't have had that otherwise, and uh, that made it worthwhile. So there are times when you'll pay that extra thing, but when they're coming in here to the temple, they're paying a higher price for the convenience. They're paying a higher price because of the demand. They're paying a higher price because if you want to sacrifice to God, you've got to get one of our lambs. And they would come in, they would do this. And Jesus saw they were not just selling lambs, they were marking them up. They were making the house of God a place of robbery, taking advantage of people. And it made him angry, it made him mad. And he went through and he did this. If you wonder why it only happened during Passover time, it's because this is when they were set up in the Passover time before this. Then his disciples remembered, verse 17, that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Here's our question. Here's the question they ask. What sign do you show us since you do these things? How many can think of some other questions that you might be able to ask? What sign do you show us since you do these things? If you're going to come in here and disrupt all this, what sign do you show us that shows us that you're qualified to do this? What sign do you show us that says we should listen to you? That you can come in and disrupt all this, these kind of things. So Jesus did some very natural realm cleaning up of the temple. Overturning tables, driving out animals. And he made some very clear very easy to understand statements. These were not spiritual. They was not, didn't need to take any kind of revelation. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now that says a lot. First off, he calls him his father. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And they pose a question to him. What sign do you show us since you do these things? I pondered on this question for a while. And I wrote this down here for you to, to get. A question, this question. A question is posed that seems only intended to muddle how people see Jesus' actions. It isn't meant to see what Jesus is getting at. It isn't meant to show, hey, we missed it on this. We're, we're, we're merchandising things that we shouldn't do. None of that. What sign do you show us since you do these things? He's just trying to muddle what Jesus is doing. And so the people would question, should we even receive this from Jesus? Maybe the merchants are right in what they're doing. Maybe Jesus is wrong. Because if you went on into the sports complex and you saw somebody creating a fuss, why are you charging $100 for a $20 shirt? And they're making a fuss over this thing and they start throwing things over. You might be saying inside yourself, go man, they're, they're ripping us off. Well, not really. You don't have to buy it there. They're ripping us off. And you may side with them. For the, I'm sure that there are some people who are siding with Jesus who said, yeah, it's about time somebody stood up to this. Every time we come out here to the temple, every time we want to make a sacrifice, we've got to pay these exorbitant fees for these lambs so that we can do what the law tells us to do. We've got to spend all this money on these doves because this is what the law tells us to do. And they're upset, they're mad at this, and they see Jesus doing this, and they're probably inclined to side with Jesus. 
So they say this, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Prove to us that you have the right to do this. That we should listen to you, that we should follow you, that we should allow this kind of conduct to come from you. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I saw something inside this, this passage I hadn't seen before. I said, oh, there's a pattern here. And there's a pattern in this story. This pattern is not just limited to this story. I went back into the Old Testament and I went back in some places in the New Testament and that pattern is still here. And here's what's shocking. The pattern is still around today. We'll show you what that is here. What sign do you show us since you do these things? Now, is this a spiritual or a natural question? Eh, it's kind of in the middle road there. He's, he's doing some natural things, but they want a supernatural shine, a sign to, to show them. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, what kind of, what kind of answer does Jesus give? Jesus gives a masterful answer that is both natural and spiritual. His intention is for it to be understood spiritually. They don't. This is where the pattern starts. This is a spiritual answer that is heard with natural understanding. Jesus intends it to be spiritual. They see it as natural. And they hear it as natural. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up? And see, it's all natural. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Of course, Jesus had said all along, Son of Man is going to be crucified, be dead, and buried three days. But they didn't get it from that. But they went back afterwards and they remembered this. Now, when God speaks spiritual truth to those who hear natural application, their understanding will be flawed and misguided. If God speaks something supernatural and people hear it in the natural and apply it in the natural they will come out with a misguided understanding they will come out and their understanding will be flawed i wrote this in here the degree to which you intend to mishear will increase the amount of error in your understanding now if you're wondering what in the world that means it's this sometimes we intend to mishear we intend it. Now, I'm going to get political on you because you'll understand it this way. If you are a person who tends to be on the Republican or conservative side and you hear someone like Obama speak, you, would, you can tend to mishear what he says. And you intend it. Because I don't like the guy. I don't like what he's doing. And I'm mad. And you can intend to mishear it. Same kind of thing. If you are a Democrat voter and you have a more of a liberal, not a conservative, I'm not saying completely liberal, but just not as conservative as, as someone else, and you hear someone like Trump say something, you can intend to mishear whatever is said. 
You have an attention on, on that. You have to work harder to hear what someone is saying that you do not like. You have to be intentional. Because on the inside, I don't like them. If you were to hear the, the Pope, the Pope now, the Pope is out there now. If we are to hear somebody, the, the Pope get up and begin to say, how many of you are on your guard? Well, that Pope doesn't even believe the Bible. And I don't believe that he does. I'm not saying that all popes don't believe it. I don't believe this one believes the Bible. And so I'll tell you myself, when I see that Pope get up, I'm, I'm ready. My armor's on. I'm ready for you. Go ahead, give me your best shot. I'm going to shoot it down in a second. <laughs> we're ready for them. Because we're, we're that way. We can intend to mishear. There are some people, folks, that are so against God, whatever God speaks, whatever they can attest, att uh, put on Him, they will mishear it. And they intend to. And this is the crowd we're dealing with here. Can you understand that a little bit better? They can intend it. The degree to which you intend to mishear will increase the amount of error in your understanding. Now, they use this later on against Jesus, even though the fault is on them. They did not hear what Jesus said. They did not hear it as Jesus intended. And they did not get the meaning that Jesus meant. But they use what they hear and what they understand erroneously against him in the end. He said he would destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. They used it against them. Now, this tactic of the enemy is still in use today. It is still going on today. It is used by the media. It's used by religious people. It's used by political people. That's just to name a few. It is used today. Whenever you see a person or a group constantly attacked with wrong Wrong, uh, wrongly arrived at conclusions. Constantly attacked with wrongly arrived at conclusions. Having no remorse for the wrong information. But just move on to the next conclusion. You know a few things. Now, how many times have we seen this in the media? They put to you a story. They withhold certain information. They lead you to a conclusion. And they act on that anger that is generated from that conclusion. When the truth comes out and we see that conclusion was wrong, is there any remorse on the part of the media? They move on to what? The next wrong conclusion that they can lead you to. No remorse, no going back and cleaning up was there. We just move on to the next one. And then once we get that one done, we move on to the next one. We just keep finding wrong conclusions. It amazes me that people still listen to them. I've shown you in the, in the years past, all the years going on, we've shown you where they've edited audio, where they've edited video, where they've uh, created things. They've, they've made up uh, papers and tried to make them look official. Who was, it, uh, who was it, Dan Rather, who got in trouble for that? He actually made up some documents and then found out, no, this printer wasn't even around when that was supposed to have been done, and he lost his job over it. These kind of things are, are what's going on. So I wrote this in your outline for you. There are three things that happen in this, and then we're going to show you this pattern in the Word. First off, they misunderstand what is said. 
first thing we do is we misunderstand what is said. Secondly, wrongly apply the conclusion. We misunderstand that we wrongly apply the conclusion. And then sell it even after the truth is made known. Even after I know this isn't the truth, this isn't what happened, we still sell it. It is evil in its source and it's formed against those doing the work of God and those who care more for what they are selling than recognizing the hand of God on people they don't like. You know that sometimes the hand of God is on people you don't like? I had to learn that one. There were some people out there I said, I just don't like them. <laughs> you ever had some people? I mean, you have to love people, but you don't have to like them. Sometimes we get confused in that in the Christian circles. We think we have to like everybody. No, you have to love everybody. That means you act in a loving way. You act in a caring way. It doesn't mean you have to like them. But you do have to love them. There are some people out there. I just don't like the way that they do things. But God is using them. Well, that person got healed through this ministry. Well, God is using them. So does that mean you agree with everything they do? No. <laughs> I don't like most of the stuff they do. But that doesn't mean that God isn't using them. Understand, God uses imperfect people. A.A. A. Allen had a tremendous healing ministry, but he was a flawed individual. Flawed individual. And those flaws eventually caught up to him. There were other people who had great anointings on them, but they were the flawed people. They didn't take care of the flaws. We need to take care of those things. We need to fix them up. Don't look for perfect people. God puts his hand on, on people that are not all that good. Remember Jehu in the Bible? God anointed him to uh, take care of the house of Ahab. There were three people anointed to take care of the house of Ahab. You know who did the greatest work in destroying the house of Ahab? Jehu. Yeah, Jehu knew it too. Come see my zeal. <laughs> Come see my zeal. I don't think I would like Jehu too much. But I'll tell you what. He did what God asked him to do. He's the only king in the north. Only king in the north. Of all the kings the northern tribes had, he's the only one that God said, you did what I asked. And I'm going to make sure that your sons sit on the throne to the fourth generation. He was the only one. You may not like him, but he did what God asked. Now, eventually, if you're going to care more for what they are selling than recognize the hand of God on people you don't like, if people come along selling you stuff, don't believe this one, don't like this one. You know, there's that people out there with Benny Hinn. They don't like Benny Hinn. I've been in a few Benny Hinn meetings. I didn't pursue a whole lot of them. Um, but I've been in a few Benny Hinn meetings, and I enjoyed the Benny Hinn meetings. People want to say different things about uh, what's going on with it. I don't know. I know people went there sick. People left well. That's usually the hand of God. If the hand of God is working on a guy, I don't have to know all the ins and outs about, the, about him. Um, if there's things that he has to take care of, God will take care of it. God will do it. It's not my job. But there's people out there who just want to put him down or... Uh, make it hard for people to go and not take advantage of a healing gift that's there. Just because he's not perfect doesn't mean God can't use him or God has not anointed him to do certain things that he does. You may not like the way that he does 
rap race and that, but maybe you didn't get the instructions that he got about how he's supposed to do it. So there's a pattern here, and I wanted to go through some of the Bible. There's two stories I want to look at, uh, not necessarily closely, but just two stories I want to read for you, and then I'm just going to refer you to some other ones. First off, Acts 21, 26. Acts, the 21st chapter, the 21st chapter has this. We're going to read it, verse 26. Then Paul took the men, this is him when he came to Jerusalem, on, a, on assignment from God. And the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out. Now look at this, what they say. Men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. Does Paul do that? He does not. He does not teach against the law. He does not teach against this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple. Notice that Greeks is plural. Greeks, plural. He has brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. They said he brought what? Greeks. But they only saw one Greek and them they only supposed that they brought in. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. uproar. You can read the rest of that story if you want to. But can you see where they did this? They took things, they looked at what was going on, and they misunderstood what was going on. They said Paul taught certain things that he didn't teach. And they said he taught it everywhere. They haven't been everywhere. But this is what they do. They misunderstand what is said, or in this case, what was done. They wrongly apply their conclusion. And they'll sell it even after the truth is made known. We make known what the truth is, what actually happened here, but they don't care. We got people in an uproar. We got people all upset. That's all we cared about, getting people upset. Can you see where that happens today? The media will sell you on something, get you angry over something, even though it didn't happen. And when the truth comes out, this is what really happened. No one wants to believe the truth. They want to hang on to their anger. That is an evil pattern. It is not of God. And Christians should not partake of it. Look over here in Luke chapter 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now this is, this is how it happened. Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he's teaching from the Word. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. He's just in the meeting. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand there. And he arose and stood. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? 
to save life or destroy it. They're asking questions in their mind. Why does Jesus heal on the Sabbath? They're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. There is no place in the law of God that says you cannot heal on the Sabbath. No place. All the laws that are in there, in the book of, uh, books that Moses wrote, go through it all. You will not find a single law that says on the Sabbath you cannot heal. It does say don't work on the Sabbath. And they decided that healing is work. Therefore, you can't work on the Sabbath, so therefore you can't heal on the Sabbath. Come on the other days and be healed on those. Don't come on the Sabbath. And so they're mad that Jesus is going around on the Sabbath doing this because they have sold people on this. They have told people they have misunderstood what was said. They have applied a wrong conclusion. And even though Jesus has shown them this is not so, they continue to hold on to it. They'll continue to sell it. They don't let it go. So Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? Now, how are you going to answer that? But it's a very carefully worded statement that Jesus makes. I will ask you. This is the question that he asked. And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, now this is what he's doing. He's in church. He's got interrupted on his teaching. He gets the man, stand up. You're, you're the one at the center of all this. In one account, it actually has the, the people interrupted Jesus in his teaching about this man. But he points to the man and he says, stretch out your hand. But he's asking the question, is it lawful? You guys have interrupted this thing that we got going on here? You've interrupted it? Is it lawful to do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy? And he looked around to them all. So he's doing this. He's looking around. He's looking around at them. He's not just looking around, you know. No, he's... He's, he's boring right in on them there. Hmm. And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. They were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. One account actually said they plotted how they would destroy him plotted how they destroyed him. Look at what Jesus said to them. I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to destroy life? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to save life? If it's not lawful on the Sabbath to destroy life, why are you going out to destroy life on the Sabbath? And I'll bet none of them draw that conclusion. Before Pilate, in John chapter 19 and verse 12, the people said to him, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. How many of those people talk to Caesar? I bet Caesar doesn't even know what's going on. And Caesar don't care what's going on. What does he care about some Jew that's got some people following him? He heals them on the Sabbath. Why do I care about that? Don't bother me with these sort of things. But they began to throw this. If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. That's a wrong conclusion, isn't it? And they keep trying to sell it. How about Cain? He had assumptions against Abel. 
God's anger was due to Abel's sacrifice because his sacrifice was better. Get him out of the way and there will be no more problems. Hippet Pharaoh against Israel. They're so lazy they come up with this idea of going out into the wilderness to sacrifice. He makes that assumption. He keeps selling himself on that all through it. Even though it shows it is not Israel that is behind this. It is the God of Israel that is behind this because Israel cannot turn water red into blood. They cannot bring up frogs and all the other uh, plagues that came out. They cannot do this. They cannot darken the sun. God's shown them. It is not them. This is coming from me. They still tried to sell themselves on the fact that it wasn't God. Daniel was accused that he wasn't submitted to the king and the only real problem, problem was he, he blocked the people who wanted the promotions. And so they came up with ideas. They came up with things to sell. This is the pattern of the enemy. This is the pattern of evil. This is never, never, <clears throat> never the pattern of God. Go through the Word. You try and find one time when God used this pattern, and you will not find it. You can go through the Old Testament. You can go through the New Testament. I did it. Now, when I say I did it, what I do is I go in my mind. I have the Bible so burned into my memory, I can sit down with no Bible in front of me, and go through story by story. In fact, I often do that when I try and figure out, all right, this is what we want to accomplish, this is what God wants to accomplish, where do we want to go? And I just, in my mind, begin to go through each of the stories. I go through the details of the story. No, no, that, that one's missing, we don't need, let's go on and find something else. I can do that just sitting there, because I've been over these over and over and over and over again. It's not there. There is no pattern in which God ever followed this. There is no pattern in which God ever encouraged this. It is every single time it is used, it is of the devil. When you see it happening now, when you see it happening with the media, when you see it happen with religious types, when you see it happen with political types, when you see it happen with whoever, when you see this pattern, know the source is not God and almost always the person they're attacking is of God. They might not be the most godly, but they're the one that God is using. The Bible is filled with people who are not the most godly, but God used. Now, your questions will reveal a pattern. Will, that, will those questions reveal a pattern of faith and trust, or are they going to reveal a pattern of unbelief, distrust, and an enemy of the truth? And here's an even more important question I got for you. Can you recognize the hand of the enemy in other people's questions? Can you recognize the hand of the enemy in other people's questions? The enemy is always about darkness. It's about concealing. It's about keeping truth from you. That's always what he's about. Go through the Bible and you'll see. Always about concealing the truth. Always about keeping things undercover. What does God do? Bring it out to the light. Bring it out to the light. Here it is. Here's the truth. And people will, with a natural mind, try and understand the spiritual truth and use it against people that are doing spiritual things because they cannot understand what was really done. Would you all stand up with me? I hope you got blessed looking at those stories. Try not to teach you the stories and trying to teach you the principle that comes from the... the 
these stories because the principle is important. The principle is going on in our day. We are seeing this happen. You've got to recognize the hand of the enemy and the hand of God. Don't find yourself on the side of the enemy. These people were religious people and they were on the side of the enemy. They were taking inspiration from the enemy in their questions. They were taking inspiration from the enemy in their conclusions. And they were taking inspiration from the enemy in how they would sell it to the people. Don't follow the ways of the enemy. Follow the ways of God. What kind of questions do you ask of God? What kind of questions are, are you, you doing? Are your questions filled with faith and belief and a desire to know and to learn from God? Or are they filled with other things? This morning we have our communion. And as our ushers come to uh, help us with that, we may need some extra help back there to, uh, to get those, those around. As they come, think about the whole time when Jesus was being crucified and the questions that were being asked by the people that came against Jesus. Can you see the hand of the enemy in those questions? Recognize the hand of the enemy because it's easy to see. We have special music for us here this morning for communion.
know that it is finished and I will not boast in anything no gifts no power no Father, I thank you that you will help us to see through the darkness that is in our day, to see through the people who question to disbelieve, question to raise doubts, stir up unbelief and strife. Help us to pursue those questions that grow our faith, enlighten us, and help us. I thank you for the leadership that you give us in this. You lead us by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Well, we have another video teaching coming out for you tomorrow. And um, I was going to, I've been trying to find one from Rick Brenner. 
Rick Renner has, is in the country. He's in the country for a little over a month. He's been going from church to church, and I have the list of all the churches he was going at, and every time he goes to a new church, I find their website, I find where they posted it, I listen to it, and for the first five churches he's been at, he has taught exactly the same message. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was exactly the same message from three years ago when he was here before, which you've all already heard. So um, I will go and listen to the, the, the this past Sundays and this one for the places where he's at and see if there's anything new. But so far there hasn't been. So um, we'll keep uh, keep looking for that. But we have one. This one came out of the uh, Southwest Believers Conference. Uh, I believe it's the second one that uh, Keith Moore gave and really enjoyed the, the presentation and the, the word that was being taught there. I hope you get to uh, enjoy that as well. When we were going on down to uh, Virginia, my wife and I, we just had a marathon, Kenneth Hagin session and we were just listening to the stuff that he was doing and they uh, we gave you the uh, one of the early ones Marietta Marietta uh, from from down in there in California the last year that he was here with us and we were we were listening to, to some of those so I gave you the uh, one of the earlier ones you can go up there and find some other ones if you like to we enjoyed all of them uh, I was contemplating trying to find all the files and download them and then collect them all and put them on our YouTube site and I may still do that and have that so that they're available because they are kind of hard to find and to, to get um, put together. But have a great rest of the week, whatever it is that you get to do tomorrow. I hope you enjoy yourself and have some fun. And it's good to uh, be here with you all. Have a great rest of your day and bless some of the people near you.